Love Letters is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It was early May. I was scrolling through social media trying to get information about the writer's strike. You've probably heard about the Writers Guild of America strike, which is ongoing as I record this in the summer of 2023. The WGA members who write the TV shows and movies I depend on to be entertained were fed up with lack of compensation. For example, there was a lot of press around one writer, Alex O'Keefe, who worked on the hit show The Bear. He revealed that after working on that show for a season, he was not rich, maybe not even comfortable. He tweeted that he went to the WGA Awards wearing a bow tie bought on credit and $6 in my bank account. Basically, even if you're successful in this work, it might be a struggle to support yourself. That's why, at the start of May, WGA members voted to strike, which was a big deal and hadn't happened since 2007. Everybody put their pencils down, or walked away from their computers, more accurately. And then mobs of people took to the picket lines all around Hollywood. So at some point while reading the strike updates, I saw something very interesting. WGA member J.D. Samuels Kuba was advertising an event on social media. It was called Strike Up a Romance. Basically, it was a singles event for writers on strike. The plan was to picket at Universal Studios and then gather for food and mingling at a nearby bar in Studio City. The flyer for the event said, hey, we can no longer say we're too busy to date, which made me laugh. I love that in the middle of something so awful, of mass unemployment, J.D. and her co-organizers were trying to help people find love. So on May 10th, the singles event happens. Afterwards, I asked J.D. if she'll tell me about it. For background, J.D. is a writer. She worked for Seth MacFarlane for years and even wrote the 250th episode of Family Guy. But on the side, she and her friend Lauren Rosenberg run a matchmaking business. Their agency, LJ Matchmaking, accepts all kinds of clients. But because J.D. and Lauren both have day jobs in Hollywood, they tend to match a lot of people who work in entertainment. That's why J.D. was very on board when someone approached her with this idea for the singles party. One of my clients actually reached out to us, who is a WGA writer who we had set up in the past. And she said, oh my gosh, we should have singles pickets. And she thought you would be the perfect people to kind of do this with me. The event was about two weeks into the strike. We were expecting 40, 50 people that seemed to be you know, average for what these special pickets were attracting at the time, we had almost 500 show up. So thank goodness we brought extra supplies. It was really, really unexpected. And the attention that we got from it was completely unexpected. It's vital, you know, that we just have that visibility in front of these studios. And the fact that we added any sort of excitement to that to get people 
in the same place at the same time is great. And so for me, the byproduct of people getting to potentially make connections there, you know, was extra appealing and was the inspiration behind it. Everyone wanted to know when the next one was going to be. And it just, it, like, okay, I guess, I guess we're throwing another one and now we're throwing another two. So it just is, is sort of snowballing. I will say that when J.D. posted the flyer for that very first event, there were some writers who poked fun at it. A few people tweeted things like, wait, why would I, an underpaid, unemployed writer, want to meet another unemployed, underpaid writer for love? Wouldn't I rather meet a person in another profession so I don't double this problem? Which is a good point. J.D. has thoughts about this as someone in the entertainment industry who's also a matchmaker. She believes that you can't choose a partner based on the stability of their job or whatever their status quo is financially because people's jobs and finances aren't always fixed. J.D. says you might as well find someone who understands you and shares your values. And often, that's someone who does something related to what you do. You know, we're striking because it is unstable, but it's a very specific niche thing that only someone else who lives a similar life can really get. And so sometimes you're going to find people who find that appealing. Sometimes you're going to find people who that's not for them. I agree with all of this. But I also know that if you do fall for someone in your industry, it can be complicated. I think about my married coworkers. Journalists who get together and eventually realize, oh no, we are both depending on the same industry to keep us afloat. I think about couples who worked in the travel industry when the 2020 lockdown started, how extra scary that must have been. I think about my late mom, who was a piano teacher. Her lessons were sometimes the first thing that families dropped in a recession. I think dating another music teacher would have scared her. I asked J.D. if she knew of any couples who are both writers and on strike. I wanted to talk to them about how it's worked and how it's going. She introduced me to Erica and Sam, two writers whose eggs are very much in the same basket right now. Actually, to go with that metaphor, Erica and Sam are kind of the same egg. I'll explain, but first. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. All this season, we've been focusing on money. We've learned that debt can be the hardest thing to talk about even if you're transparent about everything else. We've heard how dating in a city can wipe out your entire paycheck and how a breakup can be so expensive it might call for a gift registry, even more than a wedding does. But there's one more issue I really wanted to consider. Today we're going to talk about what it means to fall for someone who does what you do, who shares your profession, because there are highs and lows with that, emotionally and financially. We'll focus on Erica and Sam, who've been married for about 12 years. At the time we record them, they've been on strike for about 60 days. My name is Erica Spates. I am 41. I live in Studio City, California, and I am a television writer and producer. 
My name is Sam Lindenberg Weisberg. I live in Studio City, California. I'm a TV writer, hopefully also a feature writer soon. I'm married to Erica Spates, who is my writing partner, and we've been professional writers for 13 years now. Erica and Sam are very much in love. Before they get to their work life, let's hear about how they found each other. We'll start with Erica. I was born in Northampton, Massachusetts, and I went to a very small elementary school that was like a little Smith College bubble. And then I moved to Georgia for a couple years, which was the opposite of where I was born in almost every way possible. My parents split up in Georgia, then I moved with my mom to Vermont, finished out high school. And uh, yeah, so sort of like up and down the East Coast. What did you imagine for your adult romantic life? I was a hopeless romantic at a young age and boy obsessed, like way too young. I loved old movies growing up. So I think I thought I was going to be Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy when I was older because I love like the witty banter and the, you know, will they, won't they of that. But yeah, I was a pretty helpless romantic, but I'm also a sarcastic cynic. So if anyone ever is romantic, I go, oh God, what's happening? <laughs> like, it scares me. A beautiful segue into the next question, which is, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Very young. I think I was always writing down stories. I think I tried to write my first novel when I was like 11 or 12. I loved making things up. I had a crazy imagination. I was always in the backyard doing plays and stuff with the neighborhood kids. Erica winds up at Clark University back in Massachusetts for college. Then she decides to pursue screenwriting in grad school at Florida State University. That's where she meets Sam. Sam is from suburban Miami. His dad is a civil rights attorney and his mom is an artist. He goes to FSU for grad school to become a director. Some of his heroes at the time include Inuritu, Spielberg, and the Coen brothers. I remember it was the first day of, I think it was August 2005, and I remember her wearing a Clark sweatshirt and khaki shorts, which she denies. And I remember, I mean, she's very beautiful, but I remember the immediate, the sarcasm from her and the edge that drew me closer because she just seemed so just funny and smart. So there's something about her that connected us and we became friends first. Erica has her own version of this meet-cute, of course. It's a little more Nora Ephron when she tells it. I thought he was incredibly annoying and wanted nothing to do with him. And then we slowly became friends and worked on each other's projects and really became best friends who had each other's back because it was a very stressful program. Um, and then we fell in love. And that was a two-year program. So it happened all in those two years. So after grad school, they're a serious couple in their mid-20s. Erica decides they should move to Los Angeles because that's where the jobs are. It's a scary decision. I should mention that one of the reasons it's particularly frightening is because this move coincides with the 2007 writer strike, which lasted 100 days. There wasn't social media back then, really, so Erica and Sam are not seeing as much detailed information about what's happening. But it's clear that this career path is a fight even for the people who are already in it. When the strike ends, they are both working assistant jobs. They're difficult jobs that don't pay a lot. 
Erica is very open about the fact that they had financial help with this whole process. I mean, we're very lucky that I had some help from my father and Sam had help from his parents. We're very privileged in that way because I don't think we could have just moved out, you know, without really taking the time to save up. But I had student loan debt and Sam did not. It was a struggle. You make very little as an assistant. And yeah, we were splitting everything. But there were some times when I was working and he wasn't. And, you know, you would kind of cover each other. And, and then, then he'd be working and I wasn't. We'd be between jobs. They start figuring it out, trying to get bosses to notice them. Erica is writing spec scripts on the side to be used as writing samples. Spec stands for speculative, as in, here's what I could do if I got hired by a writer's room for a real show. After doing a bit of this example work, she has an idea. She asks Sam, what if we try writing together? Try these spec scripts as a team. Sam is still thinking he wants to be a director, but he's willing to try the writing thing, especially with Erica. You know, we both loved The Office, and we were like, well, you know, at, at the time, this has changed a lot, but you would write a spec script of an existing show to show that you could, like, capture the voice and the characters and all that. So we wrote an episode of The Office, and it was really easy and fun. And then we submitted it to some fellowships, and it did well. And we're like, oh, well, maybe this is something we should do. And then we wrote an original pilot together that was similar to The Office. It was like at a living history museum, because I grew up in those, because my mom worked at them. But like the office at a living history museum was the idea. And then that got a lot of attention. So it just sort of, we fell into it. Sam realizes this is a better path for him. And they both realize their talents are amplified when they team up. They write more scripts together. And as their body of work grows, so do they as a couple. We hadn't gotten our first writing job yet. And Sam proposed... I knew it was coming. I picked out the ring. I'm not one of those women who's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. No, we had talked about it. I picked out a vintage antique engagement ring because that's my style. And then I became super focused on having this wedding, which I do think was a little escapist. Don't regret getting married, but I do feel like sometimes people get married to have something to look forward to. And I was 100% doing that at the time. It's after the engagement, before the wedding, just as both Erica and Sam are worried that they'll be assistants forever, that they get their first writing job. Erica had been working as an assistant on the medical drama House at that time. Sam was an assistant on Family Guy at the time. He had also worked on Prison Break. I think we just were blinded by that focus of, okay, we have these scripts together. It's fun. We even wrote a Jersey Shore spec which at the time, Jersey Shore was huge. So we did like a Weekend at Bernie's one-hour Jersey Shore episode. And it was one of the raunchiest things we've ever written, and it got us our Nickelodeon job. This first writing job is on a show called Victorious. You might know it if you're Gen Z. Victorious featured a young Ariana Grande. It was a very interesting first job. It was a small room, and we really knew nothing. So we were like quickly trying to figure out, okay, this is how a multicam works, and but it was interesting to be in the room together as a couple who were engaged at that point. That was a very new experience. Erica and Sam are there together every day. And like the people I work with, who also happen to be coupled, 
There's this period where they have to figure out the vibes of having your significant other in the office with you. It's mostly good, but especially for Erica, it's a nuanced experience. We're used to working together in some capacity, but then you're in a writer's room. And a writer's room is like you're trapped in this bubble and people are just talking shit all day. And even on kids' shows, saying some very inappropriate stuff. And you're across from your partner. And you, you know, I have no filter and I like to joke around. I'm not easily embarrassed, but I think Sam might be a little bit more so. So, you know, people are talking about crazy things. You're sharing stories, but it's different for them because they don't have their spouse or their girlfriend or boyfriend sitting right across from them. So it always felt like we were trying to find that balance, you know, of being our own individual self, but then also being seen as this couple who was also a writing team. And men and women are also treated very differently in the writer's room. So even though we're a team, I'm constantly experiencing it very differently than Sam is experiencing it. But the big thing they both have to come to terms with is the way they've decided to pursue this job as official writing partners. That connects them professionally, almost like they're a business. So when you're official writing partners in the industry, you're like one employee. Let's say there are five writing positions in a room. Sam and Erica, together, would count as one. So it's not just that their eggs are in the same basket. Like I said, they are basically the same egg. They have a shared agent who gets them a shared job. As a couple, they're either both working or very much not. And that's okay when there's work. Their stint on Victorious ends before the wedding. There's no job for a bit, and then they get on another Nickelodeon series. We had a job that we liked with a great boss. It was our second job, so it felt like we were on the right path and we were getting married. Like all these things were happening. I think we even got a new apartment that was bigger and nicer around that time. So it felt like everything was moving in the direction we both envisioned. It feels like some consistency, but over time with stops and starts and low salaries, it becomes clear that the life of a screenwriter is not predictable. It's not reliable. A lot of Erica and Sam's labor is unpaid development, where they're writing a bunch of stuff to pitch, and maybe it sells, but maybe it doesn't. At times, they're just unemployed. Success never feels as big as it should. And when it happens, it doesn't last forever. How often... Were you looking at the person next to you and saying, oh my God, we're both writers. How did this happen to me? I think by the third job, I was like, maybe this was a mistake having us be financially connected because there would be really long dry spells. And I think I'm a person who got used to being broke in college, like going from having money to being broke. And I'm, I will admit, not very good with money. So I just let that same, ah, it'll work itself out attitude go into having a career, a career that I knew was a struggle, but I thought eventually would be more consistent. I was like, okay, so these couple jobs, yes, this is how you start. It's a struggle. But eventually we'll, we'll get on a show that lasts more than one season or we'll sell something and have our own show. And these struggles won't be such a big deal. But we had to repeat staff writer 
five times. I don't know what that means. Wait, tell me what, like... Okay, so there are different levels of writer. Staff writer is the bottom. So paid the least, doesn't get script fees, which is why a lot of shows, kids' shows, shows that have a very tiny budget and like to be cheap, go, hey, hire a bunch of staff writers and then have like, you know, a couple top-level writers. So no one really in the middle. You know, even on shows we'd worked on for multiple seasons, they're like, oh, we want you to come back, but we just can't afford you to be anything but staff writer again. And you talk to your representation and other people and be like, well, this is normal. This is what this company always does. This is what, this is just how it is. And eventually we had a kid, so we really felt like we had no choice. So we kept repeating staff writer. It became a huge issue for us, and it was really hard to finally be given the title and pay that we deserved. Their daughter is born in 2015, when they're still in their early 30s. Sam and Erica are getting by on this lower-level writing salary, cutting corners where they can. Their daughter is about three when they get a job that pays a lot better, finally. It's a Disney show called Coop and Cammy Ask the World. On this one, they actually have producing titles, and there are more than 20 episodes in a season, so that's a lot more money. This is when they face another big question. One could say it falls under the category of a good problem, but is it? They'll explain when we come back. Okay, we're back. So let me rewind for a second. Sam has two siblings. One of them, his younger brother, has long suffered from social anxiety. Many of us know what this is, have experienced it in various forms, or have read about it at this point. But in the late 1990s, not so much. It was a bigger challenge for Sam's family to help his brother back then. This experience, Sam's perspective of it, led Sam and Erica to write a big TV pitch for a show. It was a comedy about an 11-year-old boy with a social anxiety disorder who finds comfort when he's around a dog named Dude. An exec at Netflix loved this idea and said, we want to make this show with you, and the two of you, Erica and Sam, will be the showrunners. Amazing. Only one problem for Erica and Sam. Leaving their job at the other show means taking a pay cut. The jump from a writer's room to showrunning a new show for a streaming service, not the lucrative boost you'd think, apparently. Not to get preachy here, but I think this is one of the things that have driven people to the picket lines. Obviously, you get your own show, like, that's the dream. But we had to make that decision knowing we would make less money running our own show. We got to cast it, hire directors and cinematographers and, and all, all the positions, go to Vancouver for two and a half months, and we got to run our show and, and be on set, and which is we, we love from film school days. We love just being there and being in, in charge and having a set that... We were so glad to hear everyone talked about how it was such a great welcoming set because that was really important for us too, and make this really special show that ended up winning uh, two Emmys, which is really exciting. You're not just my emotional support daughter. You're part of my family. Then yeah, 2020, you know, it, it premieres in beginning of 2020. We fly to New York City to see our billboard in Times Square. Everything's great. Then, well, pandemic. 
couple months later. I like to think of it's the day the NBA shut down and Tom Hanks got it, which I feel like the day it all came really real here. Yeah, hours before that, we found out we weren't getting a second season. So, you know, put it into perspective, I guess. But uh, it was not fun. But here's the flip side of being with someone who does what you do. They understand what the losses mean. For Erica and Sam, who are both grieving their show while dealing with the pandemic, it helps a lot to be understood. And I imagine it's also helpful to be able to say, like, uh... I wish I had a better agent or uh, the showrunner, some inside baseball thing where the other person really gets what you're saying. Yeah, because our families do not seem to understand what we're saying most of the time. The amount of times we've explained what we do or how the process works or where we, you know, and I get it. It seems very strange. It's like a completely different world and everyone always forgets all the, the steps and the details. But yes, it's nice to not have to explain all of that to your partner while you're feeling stressed. Erica actually says that sometimes Sam is the only person who gets it. Even their other industry friends don't know what Erica and Sam are dealing with because the financial life of a writer is so all over the place. Even our friends who are in the business, when we got this show to them and they're in the business, we're like, oh, well, you're millionaires now. Like, you've made it. And, like, I'd be like, no. Like, I'm not going to tell you how much money we're making, but we're definitely not millionaires. And this doesn't just magically change everything and we can buy a house and all this stuff. It was very interesting because I think we were trained to think that's what happens. Maybe that happened in the 90s. But with streamers and having an eight-episode order, that is not what was happening. So eventually... It's the spring of 2023. Erica and Sam are pitching more shows, trying to sell something else they can run, like they did at Netflix. They've heard that the WGA is considering a strike, and they're supportive of it. They don't want a strike, but they want the future of writing to be lucrative for all writers, not just a tiny top tier of people. The strike begins on May 2nd. Erica and Sam go straight to the picket lines that first day. Erica says she's grateful she has a grandmother who's helped her financially over the last few months. Both Erica and Sam know they can call on family if they have a big emergency. To be very clear, though, both of them know that it's a privilege they shouldn't have to have to pursue this career. They think it's ridiculous that anyone should have to come from money to survive as a successful screenwriter. Anyway, Erica and Sam have been out there with signs as much as they can all summer. They both took time off from picketing when they got very bad head colds. They've tried to have a summer with family, but the strike is always there, looming. We have an eight-year-old daughter who somehow hears everything, even when you're in another room, or notices everything, like a slight facial change that looks serious and goes, what? What's happening? What's wrong? Why are you upset? So you can't even really show that emotion when she's around. You know, she's very perceptive. And we were really stressed, but we couldn't let her know we were stressed. She knows she's been on the picket lines with us. She knows about the strike. She understands why it's important. Kind of everything is about our daughter these days. We have camp for her, but there was this week we didn't do camp. And she was really disappointed. And I just sent her for today. And she's just like, I just don't understand why we couldn't go the full week. And I had to say, because, honey, financially right now, it doesn't make sense. We don't need you to go the full week. And, you know, we want to save the money. And this is new for her to hear us talk about saving 
I hope part of her thinks it's cool that her parents are fighting for better wages and being treated better. I know my parents who, you know, as I said, my dad's civil rights attorney, but they were both like hippies and protests and, you know, were with the farm workers in Florida with Cesar Chavez. And they're very proud to see all the times we're out there striking and chanting. And, and uh, my mom's Facebook feed is, was used to just all be like, all political stuff now. It's It's been like half political, half WGA post. So she's like trying to vicariously carry the sign with me. For the record, in this marriage, this is really Sam's time to shine. Erica admits that she's quicker to spend money than Sam, sometimes for no good reason. He's the one who's ready to rein it in during tough times. Even before the strike, when they got job offers, he never let himself celebrate until that money was on its way, for sure. I kind of want to like see it in some form of contractual document or have a lawyer call or something so it feels real. I, I had a very comfortable upbringing where I didn't, like I said, have to worry about money, but I, I still very much do. And I'm always thinking about, you know, whether it's the next stretch of time or we're not working or whatever it is, I am very much like more on the side of maybe we should save this or not spend this. But I think we have a nice balance because like I said, that New York trip to go see our billboard in Times Square, Erica was the driving force for that. I was once again being like, I don't know if we should go. And thank God she made us go. Not only because we were about to be locked down our house for a year or whatever, but because, you know, how often are you getting a show that you created in Times Square and all this? And so it was such a fun three days with her. And I'm just so glad that she does push me to, which I think we have that yin-yang thing that's nice. Sam says that one of the many awful things about the strike is the way that hope gets paused. He and Erica have to keep boosting each other to remember that at the end of this, there will be possibilities again. What sort of... I don't know if fun's the right word, but sort of interesting about our business is that any day you could get an email or a phone call that could change your life in that instant. So it's like, you know, you're not going to believe this script you wrote 10 years ago, like so-and-so wants to buy it or, or this person wants to meet you or, or this job opportunity popped up. So that's what sort of, I always put in the back of my head is this sort of positive dangling carrot for my emotions to be like, yes, we're sort of struggling right now, but Literally, I'll refresh my email and, and, and we could get this huge job opportunity. But yeah, in the strike, that doesn't happen. Erica and Sam are in this together, for better or worse. They both say the good moments they share do overshadow the stresses that come with being in the same complicated industry. Erica says the tie they feel when they write together is the same stuff that made them fall in love in the first place. We have the same interests in as far as movies and TV shows. And I think we just make each other laugh, honestly. And as comedy writers, like, all I want to do is have someone make me laugh. And we can look across a room and have, like, an inside joke just by looking at each other. And it really is that, like, best friend level, joking around, joking around in ways I don't think a lot of married couples joke around. Like, just two friends being crass, hanging out, saying horrible things, laughing to the point of crying, and then being like, we should never talk about that again. It's fun. When I ask Sam about writing with Erica and loving Erica, he sort of weaves the two concepts together. Like, he talks about writing with her 
and being married to her in very similar ways. I love the way he describes their creative process. Our system now is after we have an outline that's ready to go, we'll, we'll split it up. Then we exchange our drafts and rewrite. And then at that point, we'll put it together as one thing so we can see all our revised marks in there of what we changed. And then we'll sit on the couch together a good enough a distance because thankfully, early on, we sometimes would sit at the same computer and I fidget a lot and Erica would hate that. But now we'll just Apple AirPlay it to the TV and we'll go through sentence by sentence. And then if a joke doesn't work, we'll sit there and try to punch it up. It's a great process and it's so exciting, especially when you have that thing kind of ready to share with someone. It's, it's such a great feeling. To be fair, it's possible I find this deeply romantic because I'm also a writer. Hearing them talk about editing together, to hear how much they respect each other's work, it's big time romantic, screen worthy. By far the best writing I know I can do is with her. And so I definitely feel 100% confident in that. So there's something about being so close to somebody, you know, and knowing, having her be my best friend and knowing everything about her. I, I know what she likes and know what she doesn't like. I know if I put a joke in there, I know she's going to fight back on this one. How much am I going to push back to keep it in? Or do I be like, she'll win this round? And, and just because we're so close, we can skip past things, be more efficient because we'll be like, we can say, no, I don't think so. Yes, that is good or whatever it is. And I, I think just having that relationship on the romantic and, and like love side carry over into work, it just, it, it creates, a, I think, a stronger finished product because yeah, we can have more of a shorthand in that way. Obviously, Erica and Sam hope the strike ends soon because they're ready to work. They have shows to pitch and they've written a movie, which they finished before the strike. They cannot talk about it much. There is a big actress attached, but I'll keep that a secret for them. Hopefully the opportunities will come for them and other writers very soon. Do you both share a favorite movie or TV show like of all time? Well, what's interesting is Erica, she was really into older movies like Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers and Singing in the Rain. And she's opened my eyes to things I wouldn't necessarily have enjoyed. And not that those are my favorite, but I'm like... Meet me in St. Louis. Oh, me every every tree decorating. See, the, the Jewish Hanukkah boy has enjoyed Christmas through Erica. And yeah, when we put the ornaments on the tree, always meet me in St. Louis. And there's some great Classic. stuff in there. Show-wise, we both love The Office. You yeah. love Seinfeld maybe even more than I do. Yeah. I have to ask Erica and Sam, as experts, what show they think couples should watch. The Bear, we love The Bear, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily a couple show. I think but Succession, everyone I know, that was one of those they had to watch together. Like, Sam and I watch things separately. Like, I'm really into Viking shows right now, and he is not, <clears throat> which I don't understand. They're so awesome. They do have one show they think everyone might like, of course. The Healing Powers of Dude on Netflix? The Healing Powers of Dude on Netflix as well, yeah. Anyone, any couple, single people, whatever. Yeah. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Today's episode was produced by Jesse Remedios and Scott Hellman. Erica and Sam were recorded by Judy Bell Kamanyan. 
Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith and Maddie Mortel do our audience engagement. Love Letters illustrations by Ali Riza. Our marketing coordinator is Maggie Taylor. Special thanks to Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Love Letters is also an advice column. You can send questions about your love life and dating life to loveletters at boston.com. You can find us on boston.com slash loveletters. We'll be back with sidebar extras and a new season. I'll share the topic soon. Stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. We're online at loveletters.show. I went through such a house phase in my life to the point that when Hamilton happened, I was like, oh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the guy from House, which is like my family joke. The fact that I did medical research for that show, though, should scare you because I have no medical background. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening. Rx.